Hi everybody. Uh, today was uh, today with us uh, the author of two Ayurvedic cookbooks, uh, very famous ones, uh, the Everyday Ayurvedic Cookbook and uh, um, Everyday Ayurvedic Cooking for a Calm, Clear Mind. Uh, Kate Adano. Uh, Kate, welcome to Core Spirit and uh, thank you for joining us and uh, for this opportunity to talk about yoga and Ayurveda. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, Kate, uh, you wrote uh, on your website uh, that you began uh, yoga by accident uh, at the age of uh, 20. What happened and why did you decide to deepen your knowledge in yoga? I was in India anyway, and it was at university kind of course that brought me over there. And the first time that I ever did a yoga practice, I was right away, I was hooked, you know, it was instant. It felt to me like it was what my body had been wanting to do all along. And I just hadn't found it yet. So it was um, like I was over there to teach English at a, at a village school and I didn't know about yoga. I wasn't really interested in yoga. So that's why I say it was an accident. But the first time I did it, I was just, I knew right away that it was what I wanted to do. And I, I kind of never looked back after that initial experience. And I, it happened to be um a form of yoga called ashtanga yoga and maybe because i was in a, the southern part of india kind of somewhere near to mysore which is the city where ashtanga originated so everyone i met seemed to be practicing ashtanga yoga at that as i was kind of traveling around i kept meeting people who were doing ashtanga yoga and and along the way, people kind of helped me out and I was a pretty self-motivated to practice on my own. And I think I liked that about that particular system of yoga was that it's this, a set sequence that progresses over time. So I could just kind of work on it, whether I had a teacher or not at any given time, because not a lot of people were teaching at that point when I got back to the United States. So I was kind of on my own for a while. And when I finished university, then I started traveling the world to be with senior teachers and sort of, there was a couple people along the way that helped me out a lot uh, until I finally landed a few years later back in India again and started studying in Mysore. And I still go there uh, every, almost every year. Oh, very, very interesting story. And what kept you motiv motivated for uh, such a long time? I think uh, for me, there is a, a possibility of evolution, of uh, a growth of, of my spiritual development that I feel in yoga. And that's, that's what kept me practicing. And it's a very physical form in the beginning. And so that was very interesting to me as a young person. It was like, it was fun to be in my body and be able to do these sort of advanced asanas. Uh, I'm less interested in that now, like 20 years into it. And, and more, um, 
I think it was the how the yoga caused me to realize things about how my mind was working that I didn't find that anywhere else in my life and I was really fascinated and I felt a very urgent need to purify the activity of my mind and that was what kind of kept pulling me to yoga and continues to I mean the purification of the mind is like just goes on for the entire life so Okay, uh, thank you. It's very, very uh, interesting. I mean, yoga uh, and its ability to purify one's mind. Uh, in what way? In the way of breathing or uh, exercising or uh, just uh, discovering your thoughts? In what way it, uh, did you discover your thoughts and uh, purify your mind? I think um, the Ashtanga practice has three points of attention. Like, so you're, you're responsible for your attention while you're practicing. So the, the, the mind is on the breath. So you, there's a very specific uh, inhale or exhale happening with each posture, with each movement. And then there's a gazing point for each pose. So the eyes are sort of trained on a specific part of the body. And, um, and you're also like, you're held inside the sequence in a way. So like if you space out, you kind of forget where you are in the sequence. You know, you, you, you might like skip ahead or something. And so I found that because the practice required my attention, like 100%, that I became acutely aware when my attention would wander. It was like meditation in that way. You know, you're trying to, I felt like the practice, the yoga practice, the whole point was to observe how my attention is wandering away from the point throughout the practice. And over time, as you get like more, more used to the practice of training the mind on a particular point or a particular activity, it becomes like a, it's like a skill, like anything, you know, like swimming or jogging or something. And then it becomes so much easier to, to sort of grasp the mind at any given time. So now it's like, I'm observing the mind all the time, not just when I'm inside the practice. And that's how the yoga kind of starts to change the way that you live your life outside of the practice as well. So there's this real, um, there's this real mind training going on in in the yoga. So you you are a senior teacher of uh, Ashtanga Yoga. So uh, uh, what is Ashtanga Yoga to you personally? So I I read uh, there are a lot of uh, definitions. What what is Ashtanga and uh, etc. But what is uh, for you? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the word Ashtanga means eight limbs. So Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is kind of like the first text you go to when you want to learn, you know, about traditional yoga. Um, and in that eight limbs, a, a pathway towards purification is described. So it starts out with 
um, sort of observances of how you live your life, how you treat yourself, how you treat other people. And then there's the yoga postures. Then there's the moderation of the sense organs, which is a really important aspect in Ayurveda as well. And then you move into the internal limbs of yoga, like concentration and meditation. So to me, that's what Ashtanga means. It, it describes a path of yoga where the, the physical practice is just that third limb out of eight different pieces. So I think that's what Batavi Joyce meant when someone asked him what kind of yoga he teaches. And the word Ashtanga yoga is used, it was classically used to just, just mean like Patanjali's yoga, you know? And how you actually perform the physicality of it could be so many different things, you know? So now Ashtanga yoga is, is considered a specific form and it means, you know, uh, as taught by Patabi Joyce and with all, you know, this very specific kind of way of working, um, which is true. It, it does mean that now. But the, um, to me, what it means is, is that it's, it's this sort of integrated eight-limbed approach that is also followed along in the order that, that it was um, described. So you don't like start at the end, you know? You have to start with the simple stuff at the beginning. And I think the sort of um, the activity of purifying the body is, it's, it's kind of, the, if you're doing Hatha style of yoga, physical yoga, you have to do that part. Um, you have to, you have to purify the body in order to purify the nervous system and the mind and all that. And I feel that all those things um, have happened for me through the practice of Ashtanga yoga and continue to be happening as I, you know, move on in, in my life. Mm -hmm. So it, for you, it is important to purify your mind and your body. Uh, that's why perhaps you started um, uh, studying Ayurveda or uh, it, there was another reason you know, the Ayurveda also was kind of an accident because I got, I got a lot of parasites those first few trips to India. My digestive system was a complete mess. And um, I was trying to treat, treat it without using heavy pharmaceuticals. And that was how I started learning about Ayurveda. I started, I started not as a, like a student of Ayurveda, but a patient of a doctor, you know? And I, I didn't really know anything about it. I was just like, I just needed help. So I would do anything that he said. <laughs> and so there were all these sort of lifestyle practices that he recommended to me and foods. He taught me how to make certain dishes that were good for me to eat and all that kind of stuff. Just very early on, because I got the parasites basically like as soon as I hit Indian soil that first time, like a bunch of us got got this one kind of parasite. So from the beginning, I've had the diet and the lifestyle in as a part of my yoga, as a part of my life. And then at some point, my students, my yoga students, started asking me about. What, what I eat, you know, and how I manage getting up so early and stuff like that. And um, they were really keen to learn about Ayurveda. And nobody was teaching it in the area at that time. 
And so one of them actually like asked me to go learn more and come back and teach it. So that was, that was how I started becoming a student of Ayurveda in sort of like a more formal way where I attended a school in the United States. And um, then I started, I mean, in, you know, it's a lifelong study. I'll be studying this my whole life, but I was able to get enough information, enough understanding that I could start helping other people to learn the things that I learned from that doctor in the beginning of just about how to sort of like live healthy. And I really find that people have to, if you're serious about yoga practice, there's, there's things you have to do as far as like go to bed early, you know, not eat like a bunch of food in the middle of the night and just kind of things that might seem obvious to some people and not so much to others. So it was like, I felt I was helping people in their yoga as well by teaching them these, these Ayurvedic principles. And Ayurveda, who is it for? Is it just for people who want to um, help themselves with uh, their digestion, with their health, or uh, for somebody uh, else? It's definitely for anyone. You know, the Ayurveda tradition is, is, it differs from yoga in that it's really just about maintaining your health and your happiness so that you can be a positive member of your community, of your culture, of your family. You know, it's like yoga does have this sort of like spiritual evolutionary aspect, which is, it is present in Ayurveda because spirituality is a part of what makes us happy and fulfilled uh, but it's uh, anybody can use Ayurveda like to help themselves feel better you just have to be willing to to give it a try you know it's not like a quick fix and it's there's it's not the kind of thing where you can continue to eat what you want at midnight and then you take this pill you know and it makes you feel fine in the morning it's like you have to actually make some shifts in how you do things or in what you eat in order to improve your health. So if anyone who's willing to do that can, can practice Ayurveda. And why try Ayurveda? Uh, you know, I think the thing that Ayurveda has going for it right now at this time in history is that it's, it's, a large part of the science is about preventing illness, preventing disease from getting a hold on your body. Um, I think that Western science has developed a lot of really effective uh, pharmaceutical interventions, you know, that can, when people are very critically ill, it saves their life, it improves their quality of life, it reduces pain and suffering. But at this, what the whole um, like first part of the Ayurveda text is just describing how to live a lifestyle that will prevent disease and that will promote health. So I think that those, at a time where a lot of people can't afford, in my country, a lot of people can't afford healthcare, it's kind of a problem. Um, to, to be able to make choices throughout your day that support your health and keep you from getting sick to the best of, of your ability 
it's a great uh, it's a great health insurance actually to to use Ayurveda. Yes, preventing uh, diseases is very important. And uh, what do you think, uh, or perhaps you know it for now, uh, when practicing uh, Ayurveda and uh, getting in-depth knowledge, uh, how can people get ill then? How do people get, get ill? Yes. Um, so one of the, like for example, so there's so many things kind of, uh, eating food that is out of season, for example. So like if you live in a very cold climate and you're eating tropical fruits, you know, that have had to travel, you know, half the globe to get to you. Why? By the time it gets to you, by the time it gets to you, it's, it doesn't have a lot of life energy anymore you know, and eating foods that are heavily processed can make you sick um, because the body, either the body doesn't know how to digest the food, you know, something like um, bad oil, you know, bad fat, like it sits in the body, it clogs the channels through which the body purifies itself. And so then you just, you start to get gunked up over time. The thing that makes the number one thing that makes people sick, according to Ayurveda, is um, it's called ama, and ama is a it's a toxic product in the body that arises when we don't digest our food completely. So something like overeating is a great way to get sick. If you eat more at one meal than your body can digest, that you're going to get this ama. You get this kind of leftover byproduct in the stomach. So eating foods that are, you know, hard to digest or too much of them or eating foods that are um, processed in such a way that your body doesn't digest them well. So much of it is about food and about diet because that's actually where this toxic stuff comes from, the poorly digested food. So that's where the text, the Ayurveda text describes sort of what foods are better for people, in what climates, at what times of day is the digestion stronger. So that's a good time to eat something heavy. You know, all these things are described to, to help human beings understand how to eat in such a way that we digest our food completely. So there's no toxicity left over. And it's okay if it happens sometimes, you know, your body can burn a little bit of this sludge, but it's when something, some habit is happening on a regular basis for, you know, so much time, so many years that you get this toxins that have then been in the body for all this time and it's growing and it's growing. And that's how diseases um, begin and progress. Uh, so uh, Ayurveda is all about uh, the food, or uh, is there something else? I mean, what are the main principles of Ayurveda? Yeah, not only diet, but also um, there is a component of, as I mentioned earlier, of uh, caring for the sense organs. So that's like your eyes, 
your ears, your nose, your tongue, and your taste. Um, these, and yoga and Ayurveda both describe the effect that stimulation of the senses has on the body. And, and not only the body, but even more so the mind. So what is happening is there is so much information coming at, at us through our eyes, like looking at the phone and the internet, you know, always taking in information in there. Always there's some sound, you know, especially in an urban environment, you're always hearing, you know, something. Um, the tastes have become very strong. You know, like, like sugar is not, it's not just like fruit. It's like this candy, you know, like this very intense sweetness. So we've kind of heightened all the stimulants that are coming at the senses. And it begins to overwhelm the nervous system. So then we start to, it's like the whole system, the whole body starts to vibrate like a little at a, a higher vibration than is natural. And the word that we use currently to describe that is stress. You know, it's like being stressed. And Ayurveda and yoga both sort of point towards um, quieting our senses as a way to reduce stress. And that's considered as um, one of the most important things actually in maintaining health of the body is keeping the stress levels down, feeling comfortable, feeling relaxed, and feeling, that's why I say happy, spiritually fulfilled, all these kind of sensations that we can enjoy as human beings uh, are actually more effective in health preservation even than food. Food actually comes in second to, to stress and the nervous system and the state of the mind. And I have uh, questions from uh, Mitarians. Uh, can Mitarians uh, be spiritual? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I ask this. I, I ask this because uh, I read a yoga. This is. Um, uh, all people who, uh, or a lot of people who practice uh, yoga and Ayurveda, uh, they say that uh, people should uh, uh, have, uh, um, uh, should try um, a vegan diet. Um, and this helps uh, their spirituality to, uh, to rise. And uh, they uh, say that uh, Mitarians, uh, have no choice and i would uh, like to know your opinion that's why yeah it's a good i'm glad you asked that question olga because it's this is a place where yoga and ayurveda are different that um ayurveda describes any substance in the universe as medicinal if it's taken in the right amount by the right person at the right time. So there's a description in the text of how animal foods can support health or not, depending on you know how you take it, what time you take it. Um, so meat is seen as, as a medicinal substance, like 
like a vegetable, you know, like anything else, like cheese and milk and things. So all those are are included as you know, aspects of food that are available to human beings. And uh, there are people who, I feel that to be a vegan or to be a vegetarian, for some body types, that's good and easy. And for other body types, especially people who are very thin, very wiry, very active and, and very mentally active as well, it's it's more difficult. It's going to be more difficult for those people. And what I notice is that as people practice yoga for many years, I think that the digestion increases, the body starts to make more out of plant food and the desire and the need for animal food becomes less naturally over like many years of practice it's like a natural thing that that just starts to happen and i think it's because the body the body is um gaining prana it's gaining energy from other sources you know through the the yogic practices so when when somebody is like newer to to you know yoga or ayurveda or all this sort of spiritual so-called spiritual stuff uh, and you think, well, I have to be a vegetarian, but you try and like, you're unhealthy, you know, like you feel bad because there are people who, when they, when they stop eating animal food, they get these like dark circles under their eyes or, you know, they're, they want to sleep all the time or their skin turns a strange color or their digestion goes bad. So many things can happen. And it's like the process, um, towards eating more plants foods and less animal foods it just it's it's something that has to that has to arise naturally it's not something you, that one decides with the mind that this has to happen you know so there are yoga practitioners there are ayurveda practitioners of all sorts who do take animal foods of all kinds and it's very much on a, a medicinal basis I think that's the difference is that you view the food as medicine. It's not something that you eat like for fun or because it's tasty. It may be fun and tasty, but it's, it's really more importantly, um, it's there for the preservation of one's own life. You know, so it's, it's, uh, it is in that way, a, a spiritual exchange to, to take food of any kind, whether it's plant or animal food, as long as, you know, we approach it that way. Yes, it's very important to uh, respect uh, uh, the life, but yeah. still, there are a lot of people who want to try, uh, but uh, there is uh, an obstacle for, for them to try. I mean, like a rule, <laughs> strict rule, don't eat meat yeah. or something like this. So thank you. And um, uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, information about uh, three doshas uh, in Ayurveda. And uh, I uh, want to you to tell a few words how one can um, understand what, what dosha is he or her. Uh, and uh, I know that uh, uh, they can find all the information what to eat when and uh, uh, and etc in your book 
but still how they can uh, understand their dosha. Mm -hmm. That is, um, it takes time. It takes time. So every body, every person's body is a particular makeup of the five elements of space, air, fire, water, and earth. And uh, those elements bring different qualities to the body. Like if you have more fire, you're going to be hot more often. You won't like hot weather. You know, if you're, if you have more air, you'll be more cold. If you have more earth, you'll be heavy, you know, just because of the nature of, of these elements. So um, understanding what elements are more prevalent in one's body can be helpful because the law in, in the Ayurvedic diet is to introduce opposite qualities and reduce the qualities that you already have so much of through the food. You know, so if you're, fe if you're very heavy by nature, like for instance, you, you know, it's very easy to gain weight, eating foods that are heavy, like meat or cheese, you'd want to do that less and eat things that are light more often, like green vegetables, you know, and soups and things. So that's um, where it's helpful to understand the elements in the body. So what I try to do in my, in my books was to really describe the qualities of the elements in a way that people can um, begin to feel for them in their own body. And I describe the elements uh, and the qualities that are present in, in all the different foods that I'm using in the recipes so that they can feel like when they eat something, does it make you feel hot? Does it make you feel cold? Does it make you feel dry or oily You know, when you eat that? Um, because it can take a long time to, to really know sort of what your your baseline constitution is, like what the body you were, you were born with is, like what it's made out of you know, in terms of the elements. So I, I start by really describing the qualities in, of these elements and helping people to, to know whether they're heavy or light, whether they're dry or moist naturally, uh, whether they run hot or they run cold, because then you, um, you know that you just want to introduce foods that are warm if you're always cold, foods that are cool if you're always hot, and that kind of a thing. That's, that's how the Ayurvedic diet helps to promote health and, and keep us in balance. So um, it's to understand one's, one's dosha. The dosha is a combination of two elements in the body that um, according to the classical text, it's the doshas, these combinations of elements in the body that can make us sick. They have, they're, they're sort of problematic. They, they do their jobs like gentlemen until you start to um, have too much of something. Like if you have too much heat, for example, heat is great, it keeps you warm. You know, it's the stomach acid that digests your food. But if you get too much of it, then you have an acid stomach then you're overheated all the time. And if that goes on for a period of time, you can start to have something like an ulcer, you know, like your stomach actually gets burned by the excessive fire element there. So um, people can observe, I would suggest with starting with those six qualities, like cold versus hot, 
heavy versus light and moist versus dry. I think they're the most easy to feel. And um, the, the light and cold dosha is called vata. And that corresponds in my book to all the recipes for the cold weather. So all the winter and fall recipes are to balance this vata dosha. Uh, and you can find the description of what vata dosha, what to look for and all that. It's kind of too much to like say, I think, right, right now. But it's all, it's there in the winter and fall sections. And this pitta dosha is a combination of fire and water. It makes the body hot and kind of moist and oily. And that um, corresponds to all the summer recipes and foods that you would naturally want to eat when it's kind of hot and, and humid outside. And the constitution called kapha, kapha is a combination of earth and water. That's where you get the heavy, dense, very moist, qualities in the body um, that corresponds to the springtime recipes which will kind of um, warm things up and dry things out a little bit does that make sense uh yes uh thank you but still i have a question with regards to this uh doshas because you know i uh, read uh, the description of uh, dosha and uh, sometimes i feel myself like uh, butter and sometimes I feel myself like pita. So there is my question. Can this uh, dosha switch from time to time? Uh, uh, and uh, what, what to do with uh, all of this? Yeah, so most people, are, most people are predominant in more than one dosha. Most people, there are two of these compounds that are prevalent in the body like it's very common to be a what we would call a vata pitta type that's my constitution just from like as much of you as i can see i can see that yes there's vata and pitta are probably both present um so what you might notice is that in hot weather you feel more of these pitta qualities and symptoms and in cold weather, you, or when you're very busy or very stressed out or moving a lot or working a lot, you might notice a lot of the vata. Because vata is responsible for all movement. So that's why when the mind gets very busy, you can start to feel more of the vata. So like maybe anxiety um, or difficulty concentrating and things that correspond to the space and the air elements. So what I generally recommend for people who observe both of these doshas is to, to see if you notice it, a change based on the weather or based on your activity levels or your stress. And then you can, you can just manage the one that's showing itself at that time. You know, so in the summer when it's hot out, you might be really kind of focusing on management of pitta dosha and in cold weather, you get on all the routines you know, for vata, which can seem weird because they seem opposite. One's hot, one's cold, you know? Um, but they, they will definitely rise and fall with the seasons. So you'll notice the difference there. And are there any uh, common uh, diet recommendations for all three doshas? There are, there are, there are certain foods that are considered as tridoshic, which like everyone can enjoy. 
And there are also certain habits around when we eat and how we eat that are recommended for, for all individuals. Um, I, I find that how people eat is often more important than what they eat. Um, one of the recommendations that seems very sensical is to always sit down when eating and not to eat like on the go, you know, or on the run or standing up. So in, in Indian households, in uh, some places you'll hear like a parent tell a child to <laughs> like, sit down when you eat or death looks over your shoulder. Oh <laughs> it's like this, you know, it's, uh, it's akin to that kind of, um, illness that can come from eating standing up all the time. So sitting down to eat is very important. And uh, the other recommendation you'll hear often is to increase the size of the meal at midday and reduce the size of the meal at night, which culturally a lot, I think it depends where you live. Americans I know eat, they tend to skip lunch and eat these big dinners when they get home at the end of the work day. And the body naturally, do you do that? You can't, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a common thing I think in cities everywhere. You know, I know in South America, um, many like office buildings will actually shut down for lunch. You know, and everyone goes, goes home and has a hot lunch and a little rest and then they come back, you know, to work. That, that doesn't happen here. Absolutely not. <laughs> so the, what happens is the body is uh, detoxifying during the middle of the night. So if we can not have so much food at like nine o'clock at night, then the body is detoxing between 10 at night and two in the morning. That's the time. Chinese medicine will, will confirm the same. They have the same idea. So when we eat less at night, the body is able to detoxify better. And then we're going to see less of this ama, less of this, this um, poorly digested food stuff hanging around. And the foods that are considered uh, tridoshic, there's kind of one big one is mung beans, which you can generally find at Indian grocers and, and natural food stores in among the beans. And they are prized for being a food that can nourish the body as well as detoxify the digestive organs at the same time. So there's a lot of, I use a lot of recipes for different ways of preparing mung beans into um, dolls. Doll soup is a, a very common way. You can sprout mung beans and do things with mung sprouts. You know, there's, there's so many different ways to prepare them. Um, but that's one of the foods that is good for everyone. So in my book, I have like a, like an everyone section, you know, there's the seasonal sections, but then there's the, also the everyday recipes. That's where you find all the tridoshic uh, foods. But most vegetables are, are good for everyone. As long as you're balancing, um, you're not only eating vegetables. You have to also have some like, heavier food alongside it. Do you think people have potential to uh, live eternally. To live eternally? Um, 
I, I don't, I don't, it's just a personal opinion, but I don't believe that, that this physical body is meant to live eternally. I think that the, that the individual identification with, with a self, with a person that is me, is a very transitory experience. So I do believe that life is eternal in its larger form, you know? And um, thank you. And if you had a choice to send a message to a humankind, what would you write or say? I would say at this time to invite simplicity into the life. Just keep it simple. <laughs> uh, it's great advice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you, Kate, for such an inspiring uh, interview. Uh, uh, I think a lot of people will try Ayurveda or yoga 